Hello, this is Donnie Foster, the pastor of the Journey Church in Fort Worth, Texas. My prayer is the message you are about to hear will be a source of blessing and encouragement in your life. At the conclusion, I'll share a few closing words and a prayer. May the Lord bless you as you listen. Have you got your Bibles? Join me in Genesis chapter 15. We'll also be in Exodus this morning. I want to say thank you so much for uh, last week, an entire staff, we were able to get out of town last week for a much needed um, week off. I appreciate um, you being here and being in your place, heard good things about you from Pastor Matt French, and then heard good things um, about Pastor Matt, Matt French from you last week. So thank you so much to him and to you guys for allowing us to get out of town. We appreciate that. Much, much needed. But we've been talking about embracing life. We begin the year by talking about shedding fear, getting rid of the fear in our life that shouldn't be there, how to deal with those legitimate fears, and then just overcome those. And then the byproduct of that is embracing life. And we talked about several different aspects of embracing life. If you don't have a series guide back there, it's just like a little bulletin back there that gives you a place to take notes throughout this entire series. Feel free to go back there and grab one. But this morning we're going to talk about waiting. We're going to talk about embracing the waiting. And I felt like we needed to talk about this. Because waiting is a huge aspect of life. It's a huge part of life, but it's also a part of life that we do not enjoy. Can I get an amen, right? I think the reason we don't enjoy waiting is because it kind of becomes mundane. We get tired of just the going through the same old thing over and over and over again. And it kind of reminds me of the old Dunkin' Donuts commercials from the 80s in which the guy used to say, it's time to make the donuts. Y'all remember this commercial? Some of you don't, so I'm going to play it right now. So let's fire up that commercial and just watch it. Time to make the donuts. Dunkin' Donuts are always fresh. I made the donuts. We make them at least twice every day. Time to make the donuts. Not a few kinds, like supermarkets. Hey, the donuts. Time to make the donuts. But up to 52 varieties. The donuts. <laughs> Make the donuts. I made the donuts. Dunkin' Donuts, up to 52 varieties, fresh day and night. No supermarket can say that. Yes, and catch that little line at the end, it's worth the trip, all right? That was kind of their motto right there. It's worth the trip. May have to come make a trip to get these, but it's going to be worth it. You ever feel like that guy? You know, just kind of going through the motions, and sometimes you feel like you meet yourself coming and going, and you don't really know what's going on. That's certainly the way we feel sometimes when we're waiting. And I want you to think about this. On, on uh, the other side, the people who get to enjoy the donuts, it's like all joy, you know? They don't really see what goes on behind the scenes, someone having to go through all those motions. And then there's the guy and all the team that has to get up early and make those donuts. And one of the commercials, it's like five times a day. I'm like, that's a lot of donut making, Yes. And everyone here is embracing life. Everyone in that situation. The people who are making the donuts are embracing life. Then people who are enjoying the donuts are embracing life. If I had my druthers, I want to be the one enjoying the donuts. Amen, right? Now, I'm not really a Dunkin' Donut person. Nothing against them. I'm a Lem's Donut guy, all right? Right up here on Camp Boots where we get our donuts on Sunday mornings. They take good care of us, all right? Maybe you're a... Any, any Shipley Donut people here? Shipley's? What about Krispy Kreme? Anybody? All right. Uh, Duke's Donuts over there. Lots of, it's, any other famous donut places around here? Hertz? 
Have you heard donuts, voodoo donuts, anybody like that? Well, I, well I, I'm, I'm a Lim's donut guy. That's me. And I'd rather be on the receiving end than the making end for sure. However, both of them are embracing life, okay? So we're going to talk about that this morning. And, and, and to really help us understand the waiting and, the, and to deal with the things that become mundane at times, we're going to take a look at a period of history in God's, the history of God's people in a time when it seemed to be a very mundane and a lot of waiting going on, but that waiting was orchestrated by God himself. And it's a time when the Israelites spent as wanderers in a foreign land. It starts in Genesis chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn or you can look on either way. I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing this morning because I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. But you may remember Genesis chapter 15. We talked about Abraham and Sarah a few weeks ago. And one of the things that God told Abraham was, listen, your entire family is going to become a nation, okay? And and he says here, know for certain that your offspring, though, will be sojourners, basically nomads in a land that is not theirs. So God's like, hey, your family is going to be this incredible family. However, for a long period of time, you're just going to be kind of being nomadic. And not only that, you're also going to be servants for a while. If I'm Abraham, I'm like, this is getting worse by the minute, all right? But hang on, he says, and you're actually going to be afflicted. We don't like that word afflicted. That's got a negative connotation. And he says, for how long? What's it say there? 400 years, okay? Now listen to me. That's a long time. Christy, I got a little bit of a ring up here if you want to work on that just for, for a second. I appreciate it. It's just kind of when I get loud. Thank you very much. But God tells Abraham here, you're going to be the father of a nation. But if you remember talking about Abraham and Sarah, he had to wait 16 years before they actually have a baby. Then he tells him that his people are going to have to wait 400 years to get in their homeland. And then a huge portion of that time, we find out, they spend in Egypt about 210 years. And most of that time, you know what? They're slaves. So you think about what God's saying here is, I got this grand plan There's going to be a lot of waiting. And during that waiting, there's going to be some mundane things. In Exodus chapter 1, we learn this. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. If you were here last week, uh, Pastor Matt French talked to you about Joseph. Joseph was that guy who was really the savior of the Israelite people and the family. He became second in command in Egypt, moved the entire family uh, and nation down to Egypt. They prospered there under his leadership, but there arose a king that didn't know Joseph, didn't know his legacy, or or probably didn't care about his legacy. And it says down in verse 13 that they began to deal ruthlessly with the people of Israel. They began to grow, and they said, hey, they may turn against us one of these days. So they made them work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, we don't know how long it was before they were enslaved, but we do know that for at least 80 years, the time that they were in Egypt, they were made to work as slaves. We know that because of the life of Moses. Let me tell you a little bit about Moses. A lot of you know him, remember him, but I'll just remind you. Whenever Israel began to grow as a family and really become a nation, like we said, it made Egypt nervous. They said, they're growing faster than we are, and they're stronger than us, and God's obviously blessing them, and that's why they made them slaves. But they continue to grow, 
And so the king finally said, hey, let's start killing all the firstborn or all the male children in Israel. Let's just start getting rid of them and so that they can't continue to grow. But God still blessed them. And in fact, some of the parents even hid the children from those Egyptians. And one of those was Moses' family. And Moses was protected miraculously by God. He ends up being raised in the house of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the one who made this edict. And if you know the story, over time he grows, but he realizes, I'm not an Egyptian, I'm a Hebrew. And one day he's out working or, or, or viewing uh, the Hebrews who are working under the, the, the guidance of these taskmasters from Egypt. And boy, it ticks Moses off because this taskmaster is beating one of these Hebrews. He's like, that's my people. And what does he do? He gets in a fight and kills one of these Egyptians. And now he's a murderer and he has to flee. He's a fugitive. So Moses goes on the run. And when he's on the run, God's introduced him to this family. He gets a wife. He has some kids. And he becomes a shepherd out in the wilderness. All right? And so that's kind of the, the story of Moses. But before the time he comes back, He's almost 80 years old, which lets us know for at least 80 years, the Israelites were slaves, and probably much, much longer. And then here's what happens, all right? Look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue for slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. It wasn't that God forgot about it. God just said, you know what, now it's time to go forward with this. And it says, so God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, I'm sure the people were praying for deliverance before this time, but as it got worse, their prayers intensified. God heard them, and here's what happens. While Moses is out in the desert taking care of sheep, God begins to speak to him and prepare him to come back and lead his people out of slavery and into freedom. In fact, God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush. And he says this to him in Exodus chapter 3, verse 16 through 20. He says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And basically God says, I'm going to take you, and you're going to lead them out. In verse 18, he says this, though. However, he says, when you go and speak to the Egyptians, verse 18. Now, you've got to love when God says this. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey in the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. But again, this is what you got to love when God says things like this. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Now imagine God coming to you and say, hey, i got this great thing I want you to do, and everybody's going to follow you, but when it comes time to do it, guess what? The guy you're trying to get something to do, he's not going to do it, all right? He's not going to pay a lot of attention to you. You've got to be thinking, God, what's the plan here, all right? But, verse 19, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And then look what God says. And after that, he will let you go. So God says this, you're going to lead the people out of Egypt, but 
it's going to take a long time. It's going to take some time. How much time? Well, if you know the story, it took about 10 plagues worth, okay? 10 supernatural disasters God has to bring upon Egypt before they finally allow the Israelites to leave, okay? Now, with all that in mind, and thinking about waiting, thinking about God saying to Abraham, hey, your family is going to be a nation, and you're going to have a kid, but he has to wait a long time for it. And all this time waiting as slaves, and thinking about all that this morning, let me ask you this question. What is the longest you've ever waited in line for something? What's the longest you've ever waited in line for something? For me, it's probably a, br- a Black Friday event. I remember many, many years ago, back when desktop computers were still a thing. Remember those? You had the little tower and the, and the keyboard, and you hooked it together, and there was that big boxy TV thing that sat on your desk. Y'all remember these things, right? You know? And I stood in line for three hours one Black Friday morning to get one of those for a staff member at our church. We needed one really bad. Longest I've ever stood in line. But what about you? What's the longest you've ever stood in line for something? Who will, who will share with me? Yes. <clears throat> okay. You stood in line. Woo! Five or six hours. Was it worth it? Okay, so, yeah, yeah. Did you get it? So was it worth it? So it was worth it? All right, 18 hours. That's commitment right there, all right? (laughs) It is the Lord's chicken. Amen. Amen. Who else? What's, Yeah. longer than that, yeah, it might have been close to eight or nine hours to wait in line to get Gavin into his school one time. Yes, I brought her, I brought her Whataburger. That's <laughs> how long it was, yes. NASCAR tickets, all right, was it worth it? No, all right, thanks for being honest, <laughs> thanks for being honest, <laughs> that's good. Anybody else got a great, what's the longest you ever stood in line for a ride? Or, or go ahead and tell me what you got. A plane ride home. Wow, how long? Four hours. Oh, wow. Okay. Ooh, so, not worth it, right? I mean, once you got home and got in bed, it was worth it, Yes. But not worth it, all right? What's long as you ever stood in line for a ride at an amusement park? Anybody for more than three hours? Yes? Woo! Man, that's a long time. That's a long time. When we think about how long we wait for things, we have to ask ourselves the question, is it worth it? Have you ever walked up to a line, got in it, and then bailed? Because you're like, it's not worth it. We've all been there and done that, okay? So, so here's the deal. Those are minimal waits, compared to big life situations uh, that we've waited for at times, okay? Those are kind of microcosms of bigger things, but a lot of times in life, we wait years for things, maybe decades for things. I asked Miss Lisa this past week, who, by the way, her book released this past week, and we're really excited about that, absolutely. And um, so I want to encourage you to, we've shared some links and different things on her social media. I ordered my book, so I'm waiting for it to come in. 
I've read some of the free stuff, and I'm looking forward to the final copy. But I asked this week, how long from start to finish? She told me six years. Six years. So let me ask you, was it worth the wait? Absolutely. Absolutely worth the wait. It sure is. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you some principles for waiting. Principles for waiting. And I think we can do this in God's word because, again, it's obvious God orchestrated some waiting for Israel. He orchestrated some waiting for some individuals and for some families. He does it for individuals, does it for families, even does it for nations. So what can we learn from them in our waiting? So I want to give you four principles for waiting this morning. The first one is this. We will always wait longer for a new car than we will a cheap hamburger. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, how many times have you pulled into the fast food place, looked at that line, and bailed, right? But man, when you're waiting for a new car, oh man, you'll wait a long time, won't you? You got to go back and talk about the price and go back and forth. Then you got to go over to the finance office and go back and forth. Then you got to wait for them to get it cleaned up. You're willing to do it. You know why? Because at the end, you know you're going to drive that new or new to you car home, all right? It's always worth it. And listen, here's what we can learn from that. I know that's not a very spiritual way to say that one. It'll change here in a minute, but you get the principle, right? It'll change in a minute to, we'll always wait for value. That's what it'll look like in a minute. We'll always wait for value. But you know what? God doesn't ask us to wait for things with little to no value. He doesn't. When God says wait, there's always a value. There's always going to be a big payoff. We have to remind ourselves that the payoff is going to be worth the wait. When you're waiting for those NASCAR tickets, how long did you say? Camped out overnight? You kept telling yourself, it's going to be worth it, it's going to be worth it, it's going to be worth it. And then it wasn't. Have you done it again since? See, you learned your lesson, all right? (laughs) You learned your lesson. Would you wait in line again for free Chick-fil-A food for a year? (laughs) Depends on the circumstances, right? Yeah, absolutely, okay. What does Psalm 37, 9 say? It says this, for the evildoer shall be cut off, but... Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. David wrote this psalm, and he wrote it basically as a reminder. It's kind of a Memorial Day type reminder, this entire psalm for the nation of Israel to remind them that when we wait on God, it's always worked out for us. It's always worked out for us, and that is certainly true for us today. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The payoff will be worth the wait. We'll always wait for value. When God has us waiting, there's always going to be value. Second principle is this. It's easier to wait with others than it is to wait alone. Can I get an amen on that one? Now, a lot of you that are younger than me, you'll never experience this, most likely, praise God. But back in the ancient, dark days of history, we used to have to go into waiting rooms without any mobile devices. There were no cell phones. And I'm talking even before the analog with the snake game, right? I'm talking way back in the dark ages. Nothing to put our hands on and work with, all right? No TV monitors on the wall. No magazines. And if they were, they were like 17 years old. And they were not magazines you were interested in, right? And you would be stuck in these waiting rooms for what seemed like years. Really, it was like 18 minutes, but it seemed like 18 hours. Why? Because you were alone, there's nothing to do. Put somebody in the room with you, changes the dynamic. 
that you can get out a deck of cards, start playing games, start talking, start having conversation. It makes the time go so much faster. You see, it's easier to wait with others than it is to wait alone. Proving that church attendance, that discipleship, that friend groups, that family support, all of those things are absolutely vital to our lives. Amen? Amen? Come on, right? Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. We, we know this from our discipleship. If you've been through discipleship, you know the, these verses. And, let, and notice the key words. And let us consider how to stir one another up, right, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look at those key words there. Us, one another, meet together, another one another there, reminding us it's easier to wait with others than it is to wait alone. When God has you in the waiting room, surround yourselves with people that will wait with you. Come to church. Get involved with discipleship. If you've been through discipleship, help teach a discipleship group. Find out. Say, hey, who, where's a discipleship group going? I, I want to get involved. I, I need some people around me. I want to be around people. I want to be those people. Who are those friend groups? Who are those people that you need in your life, those family? Surround yourself with people that will help you wait because it's easier to wait with others than to wait alone. The third one is this. Understand that waiting isn't a punishment but it's part of God's plan for our success. Now, if there's one thing I know about each and every one of you, I, I, I bet I'm, I'm going to nail this one this morning because I just know people, and I know myself. But I know that you guys are pretty spiritual. You guys have been faithful. Uh, you're, you're awesome. You're committed to the Lord. I'd imagine when you start praying for something, and it doesn't happen fairly quickly, your first response is something like this. Well, it's just not God's timing. God's timing's just not there yet. But, but in God's timing, it's all going to work out. However, after a while, and it still doesn't happen, maybe months, maybe years, here's what I bet you start thinking, because this is what I start thinking. Or I start thinking, well, what have I done wrong that God is not allowing this to come to pass? Anybody with me this morning? All right. Some of you are like, mm, yeah, that's me. Okay. We all do that. We tend to think, God's got me waiting, and it's here's why. He's punishing me for something I've done wrong. Guys, listen to me this morning. That's not how God works. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't withhold things. Now, does God punish us? Absolutely. Does God allow us to go through things sometimes to teach us a lesson? Of course he does. Does he withhold some things sometimes, blessings when we are sinful? Yes, he does. But generally speaking, that's not how God works in life. God, doesn't call, God didn't call Abraham to wait because he was punishing him. Didn't call Joseph to wait and go through prison because he was punishing him. He, he, didn't call, he wasn't punishing the nation of Israel by sending them into slavery. It was part of God's plan for success. And sometimes that's hard to figure out, but that's why we're not God and he is. You see, when we're waiting for something we passionately desire, that we, that we truly desire, passionately and spiritually desire, know that God isn't punishing us if he makes us wait. It's just his plan for success. James chapter 5 and verse 7 teaches us this principle very clearly. James said this, he said, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
So here's what James is doing. He's taking the return of Jesus and applying it to our waiting. By the way, when Jesus shows up, is it going to be worth the wait? Absolutely. All right? So we'd all agree with that one. But it's all those other waitings that we're like, "Eh, I don't know. But James says, wait a minute. Listen, be patient until the coming Lord. And look at this example he gives. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives what? The early and the late rains. Now, I don't know anything about farming or growing anything but grass, okay? Outside of St. Augustine, don't ask me. I struggle keeping those flowers alive out there on the porch that we plant every spring, all right? I'm constantly watering them and asking people and seeing if I can figure out what's going on. But here's what I have learned is that when you plant a crop, it takes a certain amount of time to grow. Amen, right? Uh, If I get off, y'all just stop me, okay? And here's what I also know. It takes a certain amount of water to get those crops to grow. Am I on track so far? Also know this. If it takes this much water, you can't just dump it all on there at once and expect it to work. Right? you got to spread it out. It takes some early rain, and it takes some late rain. you got to get it all worked in there. Imagine a farmer who plants a crop and about three-fourths of the way through says, I'm just tired of waiting. I've got to go out there and harvest it. And they go out and harvest it, and it's not ready. And they've wasted all their time and all their efforts, and there's nothing to show for it. And all they needed to do was wait for that one more rain, that late rain. A little bit of that water can make a huge difference. And here's what we need to understand is that when we're in that waiting process, We start off up front, and maybe things are going well, and then there's that dry spell, and we think about bailing, we think about getting out, and we get frustrated. But what we need to understand is the latter rain is coming. And when the latter rain comes, that's when success appears. So understand that waiting isn't a punishment by God. It's just his plan for our success. It requires the early rain, and it requires the late. The final one is this. How we wait for something can certainly affect the way we enjoy the payoff. How we wait affects the payoff. Let me ask you a question, another little fun question here, all right? How many of you feel like that you receive an inordinate amount of poor customer service? Anybody like that? All right, like there's only four of us. Come on, be on. Well, it's a safe space, all right? Anybody else feel that way? All right, okay, a few, a few more of you. I do. I feel like it happens to me all the time. I think this is how God has matured me, <laughs> by giving me the people who just have no idea about customer service. And I'm telling you, it happens all the time. I come in here all the time telling crazy stories about this. But I have learned the hard way that how I wait for the payoff, in fact, it's how I enjoy the payoff. For example, all right, if you've ever been in a situation where you know, they messed up your order at a restaurant. Have you ever gotten frustrated about that? Gotten mad? Gotten all upset about it? Maybe you had words with the waitress and just all frustrated and you're mad. Food finally gets there and what happens? You're like, no, and you can't even enjoy it, right? How you wait affects the payoff. Y'all laughing because y'all done that, amen, right? Y- 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 y'all know what it's like to be all eating mad is not a good way to enjoy the steak. <laughs> you, you, want to be happy when you're consuming that food but if you wait the wrong way then ah, you don't enjoy the payoff as much um karen and i just back this past sunday we're on our way 
back into town from being gone, and we stopped at a little cafe, and we sat down, and, and we ordered our food, and, and it was a little bit busy, but not too bad, and boy, it's taking a long time to get our food, and finally waitress walked over and said, I'm sorry, I forgot to turn your order in, you know, and so I just turned it in, it's going to be a little bit longer now, all right, so you got two choices at that point in time. You can get mad, you can get upset, and then not enjoy your chicken fried steak and gravy when it gets there, right? Or you can realize, and by the way, I've learned this the hard way, okay? You realize, this is some more one-on-one time with my beautiful bride. What we were working on when the waitress, before the waitress even come over, we were working on this um, little road trip playlist that we were putting together. And we were putting songs on it, you know, and the waitress comes over and says, hey, I'm sorry, it's going to be a little while longer. Immediately, we're like, hey, no problem. Take your time. We, we, we understand. Just, you know, just get it done. We go right back to the playlist. By the time we get done, boom, there's our food. We enjoy our chicken fried steak. I'd like to tell you that's how I've always operated. <laughs> but it's not. It's not. Look what Psalm 37, 34 says. It says, wait for the Lord. And what's that next phrase say? And keep his way. Say that with me. And keep his way. In other words, it's not that you wait. Are you with me? And we, we, we can all wait. Sometimes we're forced to wait. You're forced me to wait? Fine. But I'm not going to like it. <laughs> I've been there. You have too. But the psalmist there, and it's David, and this is the same psalm that we shared before. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. And what will happen? He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Some great principles here. We'll always wait longer for value. When God has us waiting, there's going to be some value. It's easier to wait for others, wait with others than waiting alone. Surround ourselves with people when we're in the waiting room. Understand, waiting's not punishment. It's part of God's plan for our success. And how we wait can certainly affect, affect the way that we enjoy the payoff. Hey, let's wrap it all up this morning. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 12, all right? So here's what happens. It says, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. So think about that. God comes to Abraham, all right? And he says, listen, um, your family is going to be a nation, and you're going to have a child. But he has to wait 16 years to have that kid. Once he has that kid, Isaac, Isaac then has to wait a long time for a wife. God finally provides him with a wife. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob eventually has this son, Joseph. And by the way, Jacob had to do his own waiting. He wanted to marry one, one sister, got another sister, had to wait for her, and all this thing, all this stuff goes on. Finally gets her, has 12 sons, and here comes Joseph. And Joseph has this dream that he's going to be this great leader. But in amongst there, his brothers try to kill him, and he ends up in prison. He thinks he's going to get out of prison. He doesn't get out of prison. And all this stuff happens where he's finally second in command in Egypt. All his family moved down there, and it looks really good, except after a while they forget about Joseph and all his work, and they go into slavery, and whoo, 430 years after this promise to Abraham, finally they get out of Egypt. All of that waiting. And so we ask the question to the Israelites, was it worth it? Was it worth it? To those who inherited the land, oh, it certainly was worth it. But let's make it personal to us. Go to the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Peter here, 
Thursday, it was challenged by some people saying, what's taking Jesus so long to come back? By the way, you know how long it's been since Jesus had ascended? About 20 years, okay? We're 1,992 years removed. 20 years in, people were complaining, proof that there were Baptists in the first century, amen? All right? And so here come these people, and they are, they're complaining to, to, uh, to Peter, what's taking Jesus so long? He says, he's coming back, I'm tired of waiting. And, and Peter's like, listen, he says this, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now, some people pull this out of context and think that that means that when the Bible talks about one day, it's actually a thousand years. And, and with creation, that one day was a thousand, a thousands of years. No, no, no. Genesis chapter 1 says the morning and the evening were the first day and the second day and on and on and on. Those were literal days. Here's what Peter is saying, though. He's saying God is not bound by time. Time means nothing to God. Time is something God created and placed us within, and we're bound by time. God lives outside of time. Time means nothing to him. He is not bound by it. And so when you start thinking about waiting for a day, it means nothing. Waiting a thousand years, that's nothing to God. Time is not something God is concerned with. But he does go on to say this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Slowness. There are a lot of people who are like, what's taking God so long? And God's up there going, let me tell you something, it could be a whole lot longer. I'm working, I'm working pretty good up here. I, I've got this perfectly executed plan, and you're complaining. But he goes on to say, but God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter is like, you want Jesus to come back right now? There are a whole lot of people going to die and go to hell. We need to start spreading the gospel. That's what Peter was saying. That's the truth today. And he says, since all these things, all right, uh, going down to verse 12, it says, we need to be waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will, will melt as they burn. In other words, this world's going to pass away, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, here's the deal. If Jesus comes back today, the church will have waited 1,992 years for Jesus to return. However, I've only been waiting about 51 years. I've been waiting all those years. For me, it's a very short period of time. It kind of depends on the perspective that you place it in. Either way, when, G when we see Jesus in glory, let me ask you the question again, church. Will it be worth the wait? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We don't even question that. But we do struggle waiting for other things in our life. So, two final verses, and I'm done this morning. When the waiting is challenging, we've gave you some great principles for waiting this morning. We've shared you with you that how we wait can enjoy the can can affect the payoff for sure. We talked about understanding that God making us wait. That's not Him punishing us. That's part of His plan for success. We talked about the fact that it's easier to wait with others than waiting alone. And certainly, we talked about the fact that we'll always wait longer for something that has value. And what God has us wait for, that's value. But when we struggle, when the waiting is challenging, remember these two verses found in Jude 24 and 25. There's just one chapter in Jude for this day. Jude 24 to 25, it says this. Now to him, 
This is Jude talking about Jesus. Now to Jesus. Let's give Jesus some props, all right? Here's the props you want to give to Jesus, and here's why. Because he is able to keep you, that's you and I, from stumbling. The word stumbling there means losing our salvation. Do you know that Jesus, keep, not only does he save us, but he keeps us saved. Aren't you glad for that? My friends, if you could lose your salvation, you'd have lost it a long time ago. Amen? Come on, right? Jesus saves us. He keeps us saved. That's what Jude says. Now, to him is able to keep you from stumbling. Not only that, not only does Jesus keep us from stumbling, but one day he's going to present us how blameless before the presence of his, that's God the Father's, glory with great joy. I don't know about you guys, I'm not blameless. But in Jesus, I am blameless. And one of these days, I'm going to be presented to the Father by Jesus himself as blameless. But not only that, he's going to do it with great joy. Jesus is going to be excited to present us to the Father as blameless. Now, if that didn't get you jumping this morning, your jumper's broke. Amen? Come on, right? So Jude goes on to say, to the only God. Our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's give God props as well. He deserves glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. All of that belongs to God. And here's why. Look at that last phrase. Because he said, it all is due to him before all time and now and forever. Just think about that for a minute. Jude says here that we, we owe all this to God, all this credit, all this glory, all this majesty, all this dominion, all this authority to God. You know why? First of all, because he is before all time. Have you ever just sat down and tried to contemplate what it means that God has always been here and always existed? Anybody figured that out yet? All right, I, you haven't. You know why? You're bound by time. God is not. When we are no longer bound by time, it'll all make sense. Until then, it's going to blow our mind. But God is before all time. So that tells us this. God's plan for our life was put in place long before time ever began. Are you with me, church? Next time waiting is challenging, remember when we say, God, what's taking you so long? Remember, a plan was set in place before time began. But not only that, but it says he deserves all the glory, dominion, majesty, power, authority, whatever you want to attribute to God, he deserves it now. See, God didn't just set up this plan and then say, all right, boom, figure it out, I'll catch you on the flip side. God is right here in the here and now. He has this plan. And he understands that at the end of this plan is our success. The end of this plan is him presenting us to the Father blameless with joy. That's the plan. And in the midst of all this, all this craziness happens. God's like, here's the plan. And we're like, that's a good plan, God. But I'm going to go over here for a little while, all right? See ya. And what does God do? Does he just let us wander? No. Starts smacking us upside the head and gets us back where we need to be. Amen, right? That's what he does. Why? Because he's the God of the here and the now. See, God is sovereign. You know what that means? He's all-knowing, all-powerful. And that means this, that he has a way of bringing about his, bringing about his plan 
amidst the craziness that is our lives. Your life ever get crazy? Well, mine does. My, my, my life gets jacked up sometimes. Come on, church. Let's just get real this morning. Man, I, when I start thinking about the fact that God has a plan for me, and the end of that plan is me standing next to him before the Father and saying, look at Donnie Foster, he's blameless. I'm so excited, Father, to, to just present him to you this morning. I think about what took place between Dad and you. It's amazing the fact that God would even care for you. And here's what God has done. He's right here, amen? He's right here. He's the God of the universe. And in the midst of our crazy lives, he just has a way of working it all out. I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. But I'm so thankful for it. Amen. And what's the last thing he said? He says he deserves all of it forever. Forever. You see, once in eternity, once we are in forever mode, we're in temporal mode right now. But one of these days, that little band is going to be lifted and we're going to be in forever mode. That means endless lives gaming forever for all you millennials out there, right? Forever mode. Once we're in forever mode, We'll be able to look back and see the full plan of God's amazing grace. Like I said, on this side of it, when I imagine what it's going to be like to stand, to stand before the Father, all I can see is the now. But when I'm there, I'm going to be able to look back. I'm going to be able to see all of it, nice and clear. And I'm going to see God's handiwork in every aspect of my my friends, that's the God I serve, amen? He's the God of before time. He's the God of now. He's the God of forever. You see, when the waiting becomes challenging, understand something. To a God who is eternal, past, present, and future, to a God who is eternal, there is no waiting. Waiting is not a thing with God. God's not up there waiting for something to come about. There is simply a plan being executed. I can't wait. And if we say to God, how much longer do I have to wait? And we've been there and we'll be there again. Maybe we're there right now. But when we do, he replies, my child, you're not waiting. You're experiencing my mighty hand at work in your life and in the lives of those around you. And once it's all complete, only thought you're ever going to have is thank you, God. It was all worth it. Amen? Remember what the tagline was for Dunkin' Donuts? You remember? Anybody remember? What was it? It's worth the trip. Amen? It's worth the trip. It's worth the trip. You know why? Have you ever thought about this? Why doesn't God, when he saves us, just transport us right into glory? Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen? What does he do? He says, no, 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 you need to do some waiting, boy. <laughs> and we're like, waiting? Mm, I don't like that. And he says, wait, I need you to go on this journey. I need you to go on this trip. I've got some things I need you to do. I've got some things you need to experience. I've got some things that need to happen to you. You know what we call that in theology? We call that our sanctification. Our sanctification is the process whereby God is making us like his son, Jesus Christ. My friends, plucking us out as soon as we got saved to be like 
picking a peach off the tree long before it's ripe and trying to make peach cobbler. Amen? Gross. Come on, right? Gross. You got to make some trips around the phone. You got to make some trips to the desert. You got to make some trips across Jordan. You got to make some trips through this life. But when we get there, Thank you for listening to this message. Our goal is to reach people all over the globe with the good news of God's Word. If you would like to partner with us by making a donation, visit our website at journey-church.com. That's journey-church.com on a PC or laptop and simply click on the Donate tab on our homepage. By partnering with us, you will help us reach the world for the cause of Christ. Allow me to pray for you. Lord, I pray you bless those who have heard your word today. May you also bless their family and those whom you place in their paths. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.